Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 17, the Word of God says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And together, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Together, and he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we understand, uh, give us understanding as we, we seek to understand this uh, interesting subject this evening, uh, the idea of these gates that we see in the scripture. Uh, may we know what they are, why they matter, and how to approach them, how to apply these truths to our lives and the lives of others. Thank you, Lord, for giving us so much uh, eternal information in the book. You really do teach us how life works, how to live, what matters. And I pray tonight that you give me the words to say and us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Tonight I want to give you an interesting uh, message on the subject, seven gates. Seven gates. The word gate in the Bible is used hundreds of times. The concept of gates in the Bible usually have one of two meanings. The first is a gate, literally, a gate is an opening, an avenue, or a way. So imagine if you come to someone's property and there is a gate at their driveway, there is a gate at their sidewalk leading up to the front door. Uh, it is an opening that shows a way. It can be locked. It can be open, but a gate is literally an opening, an avenue, or a way to enter a place or go a certain direction. The second concept of gates in the Bible is figurative. Figuratively, gates represent power, authority, or dominion. We see this a lot when you read the Old Testament the gateways of eastern cities back then, anciently, and even today, held an important place in the defense of the city, the economy of the city. Often uh, the, the uh, marketeers would gather in the gates uh, of the city, and then the leadership of the city, the governmental civil leadership, would gather and organize and make decisions. Uh, so the gates you see all throughout the scriptures. The first time we see the word gate in the King James Bible is actually in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. And the Bible says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot set in the gate of Sodom. And so Lot had not only moved to Sodom, 
but he had become part of the organizational structure of Sodom. He was a wealthy man, uh, and he was helping to run this wickedest of cities. But that is a figurative term uh, for the word gate. So in the Bible, you see the word gate. It's literally speaking of a gate, an opening, a way, an avenue, or figuratively, it is speaking of the representation of power, authority, or dominion of this place. And in the Bible, I want to point out tonight, there are seven gates that everyone should be aware of in the Bible. Seven gates that everyone should be aware of. I don't have time to to develop any of these as thoroughly as I would uh, like to, but I just want to give you an overview of these gates and perhaps uh, spur on some study of your own and as you think about these things. Also, as you see them in the future, as we talk about things and as you read your Bible, you'll have a greater understanding of this concept of the gates. The first gate we looked at is found in Genesis chapter 28 and verse verses 12 through 17. God opened the eyes of Jacob to see something that he couldn't see before. This portion of scripture is often referred to as Jacob's what? Jacob's ladder. And so literally, we, we read the text, Jacob goes to sleep, he actually comes back to this place, uh, he goes to sleep, and God sends him a vision. In his vision, he can see a ladder extending from where he was all the way into heaven. And he sees a doorway to heaven, and he sees spiritual beings going up and down this ladder from earth to heaven, from heaven to to earth. So God opens Jacob, Jacob's eyes to see these spiritual beings travel to and from God's domain to this world. Now, we just recently on a Sunday morning talked about angels and demons. We talked about the existence of these supernatural creatures. We talked about their origins and their differences. Let me just remind you tonight that there are supernatural beings all around us. We live in a world, a physical world, a natural world, but through a thin veil that you and I can't see through unless God wills it, all around us there is a supernatural world existing just as real as this one. In our uh, sermon series last fall, we talked about uh, the supernatural man uh, and this idea that mankind has one foot in the natural and one foot in the supernatural. We are made in the image of God. We have a physical, natural body, and we have a supernatural, eternal soul. We have one foot in this world and another foot in the spiritual world. We have the old man of the flesh and the new man of the spirit, and we get to decide every day whether we will focus on this natural world or whether we will focus on the supernatural and really a spiritual person a spiritual christian is one that focuses on the supernatural the bible says that if we would walk in the spirit we would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh so the supernatural has the ability to override the natural but it's a sad fact that most people most christians even are far more focused on the natural world than they are the supernatural. Most Christians are more 
carnal than they are spiritual. And that's a shame. Of course, unsaved people are, uh, by the very definition, natural, uh, and they, they have a supernatural soul, but they're often unaware of it. We see these creatures as well, the uh, servants of God called angels, the fallen angels that became servants of the evil one called devils or demons. And all around us, there is this world that is active. We just can't see it most of the time. Remember, we talked about Elisha and his servant, and God opened the eyes of Elisha's servant, and he looked up in the mountains and saw the armies of God up in the mountains. They were there the whole time. The servant just couldn't see them until God willed it. And what we find in this scripture is that sometimes God will allow us to see past this world into the next. He will give us spiritual eyes to see what we normally can't see. So this gate, I want to talk about number one, the spiritual gate. There are spiritual gates in this world. There are openings, there are avenues where people travel, where supernatural beings travel from this world to the next and back. We also see in the scriptures that there are places that have more supernatural goings on than other places. A lot we could say about that. We learn from the Bible that demons seem to be territorial, that they pick a place and they like to inhabit certain places. We learn that. Satan is not an omniscient, omnipresent being that there is a place right now in the book of Revelation to the, the letters to the seven churches. Uh, Jesus talked about where Satan's seat is. There is a capital on the earth of Satan's satanic workings. There are certain places where more satanic and demonic activity take place than others. There are places when more godly supernatural activity take place more than others there are places on the earth that are almost like gates to the supernatural where they just seem to be a lot of this activity the place here uh, that jacob talked about if in the verses we read verse 17 said and he was afraid and said how dreadful is this place this is none other but the house of god and this is the gate of heaven did you know the house of God is a place of unusual spiritual activity? You're sitting in a place where God likes to transact supernatural business. We had people get saved this morning. We had uh, people get encouraged. We had uh, people that, that were uh, downtrodden and discouraged get encouraged. We had prayers go from this place. And, and true houses of God are doors they are gates they're spiritual gates that uh, God uh, accomplishes supernatural work in this world the Middle East is another place where we find God's seeming supernatural activity more places than others folks the most important place on the the planet is not New York City it's not Washington DC it's not Los Angeles or Rome or London. It's Jerusalem. 
The most important city on the planet is Jerusalem. The Bible has an awful lot to say about that. Jesus is going to one day rule in the millennial kingdom from Jerusalem. There is a lot of spiritual activity that takes place in certain places. And I think if God gave us eyes to see, we would see that spiritual activity happens all around us. But there are certain places that are like spiritual gates where a lot of spiritual activity happens. And we need to be aware that that is a possibility and a truth in our world around us. Look at John uh, chapter 10. Let me show you another gate. John chapter 10. This is the only place where the, that we're going to look at today where the word gate is not specifically used, but the idea is, is there. A different word is used, but the same concept and idea, and one that we can't overlook. John chapter 10 And look at verse 9. Jesus said, I am the what? The door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastures. We see number two, the salvation gate. So we saw number one, the supernatural gate, the spiritual gate. Number two, the salvation gate. Jesus Christ is the door to heaven. He explains very clearly there's only one way to get to heaven and nobody's going to sneak in. For context, let's look back at verse 1, John chapter 10 verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a what? A thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So imagine this, when you go home tonight, you're not going to Slink around the side of the house, find a dark corner, jimmy open a window, and crawl in the window. You know why you're not going to do that? Because it's your house. You have permission to go in the house. People have permission to go in the house, they use the door. And Jesus says, I am the door to heaven. If any man tries to get into the sheepfold, the the, the place where the sheep reside, speaking of, of heaven, then the same is a thief and a robber. Look at verse 3. To him, he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Thank God for the good shepherd. Amen. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. I don't have sheep at my house, but we do have some cute little dogs called Shih Tzus. They look like the head of a mop fell off and came alive and, and run around the house. And uh, cute little things. Now, if you come over to my house, they will tear you apart. I mean, they are guard dogs. They think they are. They, they won't. They might, they might uh, bite your little toe or something. But... Um, they, they think they're guard dogs, but one thing that's interesting is if, if someone they don't know comes over, they're very skittish, they bark and let us know, but when I walk out and I speak, they all turn to look at me, because I'm the, the shepherd of the Shih Tzus, amen? And uh, <laughs> that's what I call myself at home. Uh, 
But this is what he's saying, that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And we know that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Look at verse 7, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Boy, there's always been false Christ, and there are false Christ today. And the Antichrist is going to be a false Christ. But they're all thieves and robbers. Why? Number nine, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go out, uh, go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Isn't that a blessing? See, Jesus is the gate to heaven. And if you're going to go to heaven, it's going to be through Jesus. And we talked about who Jesus is this morning. So seven gates that everyone should know about in the Bible. We see the spiritual gate. We see, uh, number two, the salvation gate. Let me show you another gate. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we find the hell gate, the gates of hell. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, our Lord Jesus talking about the church. He says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Now we understand as a church that Jesus is not saying he was going to build his church upon Peter. First of all, John chapter 2, Jesus said, that he didn't commit himself to men because he knew what was in men. Men are fickle, and Jesus wouldn't commit the entire uh, salvation of all peoples that would ever be born uh, in the church age to a man. This is not, the Catholics like to say that Peter was the first pope, and Jesus built his, his church upon Peter, and, and all that is foolishness. What we find here is the word Peter means a little rock, and there's a word play here going on. Jesus says, thou art Peter, thou art a little rock. And upon this rock, the big rock, I will build my church. There's two different rocks there. You're a little rock, but upon the big rock, I will build my church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. We learn that again in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to build the church on myself. And notice what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The local churches have something called divine perpetuity. They have a supernatural protection. No church can be destroyed from the outside. Think about this. Every church that's ever died was not murdered, but it committed suicide. Every church that's ever died, every church that ever stopped being a real church, it was killed from the inside, not the outside. We've learned from the scriptures and from from history that persecution actually grows the church. It makes it more difficult on the visible church, but the church goes underground. In China, where churches like ours are outlawed, they say that there's over 200 million Christians. Think about that. And that's just a, a, a 
a conservative guess based on certain facts. It could be much more than that. Do you know in North Korea where it's against the law to be a Christian like you and I, against the law to have a Bible, there are underground churches that meet every single week? In Muslim countries where they can be killed for naming the name of Christ or having a Bible, there are churches that meet faithfully underground every single week. So you can't kill local churches from the outside. They have this thing called divine perpetuity. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And of course, the gates, we think about, about hell having this, this defensive structure, these gates trying to keep us from attacking it. But we understand that the church offensively, we have the promise of Christ where we can charge into hell and rescue people from hell through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing the gates of hell can do to stop it. See, people will always get saved. As long as we're in this age, as long as, as, as uh, uh, God's on the throne, Jesus Christ still saves, the preaching of the cross still works, and there's not a thing the devil can do about it. He gives everything he can to blind the world, and, and he holds much of the world in spiritual hostage and, and all of that, but he can't keep all of them because the gates of hell shall not prevail. But we also know the gates of hell here speak of figuratively of Satan's power and dominion. You know, Satan has no defense against God. Satan has no defense against the power of God. I need you to understand that. God's already won, folks. We're on the winning side. And it seems right now like Satan's winning. It seems like evil and chaos are overrunning the earth. But dear friend, we know how it's all going to end. And the local churches have the answer as we preach Christ and take the, the glorious gospel of Christ throughout our communities and into the world through the, the, the missionary work of the church. Uh, saving souls is still the answer. And there's nothing wrong with the world that Jesus Christ can't fix. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We see number one, the spiritual gate. Number two, the salvation gate. Number three, the hell gate. Look at Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Verses 9 and 10, the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. We see the, the, this speaks of the death gate, the death gate, the gates of the grave. The phrase, the gates of the grave, means the brink of death. Like you're standing at the door of death. Death is simply a door. Literally, death is a doorway into eternity. It's a gate to the afterlife. Death is the separation 
of the physical body from the eternal soul. And I said before that we are creatures made in the image of God. We have one foot in the natural world and one foot in the supernatural world. When death happens, it severs that connection, that anchoring to the natural world, and we become these eternal creatures. Death is simply a gateway to eternity. Death is not the end of life. In many ways, it's the beginning of eternity. When I do a funeral, I always think about the fact that death is simply a door. And for some, it's a door to hell. I don't like that. I hate that idea. That's what the Bible says. For those who were lost and undone, those who die in their sins, death is a door to hell. But for those who are born again, those who've put their faith in Jesus, death is a gateway to heaven. And death is simply a gate. We see the death gate. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Just giving you an overview of seven gates in the Bible that every Christian should be aware of. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction, and there and many there be which go in thereat. This is the wide gate, or the destruction gate. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a road that leads to destruction. And Jesus warned people about it. It matters not how carefully you travel this road. It matters not how sincere your motives as you head deeper and deeper down this road. This road of destruction only leads to one place. And many people travel it to their doom. This wide gate to destruction. It's a wide gate to eternal destruction, which was Jesus' important point here. Do you know, folks, that if you're following the crowd, you're rarely going the right direction? I remember when I was a kid and I would want to do something everybody else was doing. She'd say, if all your friends were jumping off a cliff, would you want to jump off too? Anybody ever hear something like that? And sometimes I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> but you know that's where a lot of people are. They just want to be around the crowd. They're afraid to be alone. Afraid to travel a hard road. Well, everybody in my family gets to do it. Well, all the kids my age get to. There is a broad way, folks. And many people are traveling it that leads to hell. 
the way of self-righteousness, the way of empty religion, the way of humanism and atheism, agnosticism. There's also, a, by application, there's a wide gate to earthly destruction. You know, the Bible says the world lieth in wickedness in 1 John. It also says that the world, the flesh, and the devil are our enemies. And as much as, if you're born again, as much as you, as much as there is a part of you that wants to follow Jesus, your flesh still has the taste of sin. There is a part of you that wants what it wants right now, and it doesn't care how much it costs, it doesn't care what it does to your future. And when you give in to the flesh, when you follow the crowd, you go down that wide road of destruction. Satan can never take your soul if you're truly saved, but he can take your years. He can steal your potential. He can steal your joy, wreck your testimony. Much of the world's entertainment is absolute trash. Much of the world's music is destruction gate music. Much of the world's videos, TV, Hollywood, is destruction gate stuff. Much of what the world thinks is popular and cool is going to lead you down the wrong road. This is the destruction gate. And multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes are walking that road of destruction towards their doom. We see number six, though. There's another gate called the straight gate or the life gate. Look at back at verse 13. And now we'll add verse 14. Enter ye in at the straight or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So imagine if you're standing before a Y in the road. On one side, it's a big, wide gate. And then that's where all the traffic's going. Maybe it's got the lights of Vegas. Man, it looks fun. It's exciting. There's all kinds of great things to do. People are going that way. They're excited. There's a buzz in the crowd. Boy, those people look like they're having fun. And over here, there's a narrow gate. It doesn't look like much. It's an unassuming gate. The path looks a little boring. It might look a little difficult or treacherous. There's not very many people going that way. It's a lonely path with few travelers. Yet that gate, the life gate, leads to life and blessing and God. There was a day when I was walking the road through the wide gate. And I thank God Jesus Christ in His great grace and mercy took me off of that path 
and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and put a song in my heart. And I was able to walk through that narrow gate towards life. That's the path you want to take. You rarely go the right way by following the crowd. Unless, of course, your crowd is a crowd of committed believers. Amen? <laughs> and then you might want to just tag along. Let me show you this last gate. Look at Revelation chapter 21. We see the heavenly gates. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21. Seven gates that every Christian should be aware of. Spiritual gate, salvation gate, the hell gate, the death gate, the destruction gate, the life gate, and lastly, the heavenly gate. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that beautiful? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the, uh, of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. These chapters go on to, after talking about a terrible place called hell, it contrasts with heaven, and he carries John away in a vision to show him the great city, New Jerusalem. Verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the wall great and high and had twelve gates. And at the gates twelve angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. This is a picture of the heavenly city, New Jerusalem. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is where the saints are going to reside for eternity. This magnificent heavenly city. And we notice that as God is describing this city, we find 12 gates. See, God wants people to go to heaven. He didn't make 
just one way to heaven. Of course, Jesus is the only way, but in the city itself, we see three gates on each side, 12 gates. It's a place where God has prepared for multitudes to come and abide forever. The Bible talks about these gates. You see, the gates of a city are a promise of what you will find inside. If you were to go to a magnificent ancient city, the more grand and ornate the city, uh, the more power and money a city had, the more grand the gates would be. And as you'd walk up to these gates, you'd see the magnificence of the city. Well, imagine the magnificence of this city as the gates are literally pearls, massive pearls with entrances carved out of them. Look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was one pearl and the the <coughs> and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the Lamb is the light thereof. Look at verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. It's a beautiful illustration of the safety of heaven. In these walled cities at nights, they would close the gates to keep out robbers and bandits and, and uh, people that would steal and kill and destroy well, the Bible says there's no reason to close the gates of this heavenly city. It is a perfectly safe city without sin, without fear. What a beautiful illustration of the city of God. See, God has a place prepared for us, folks. Have you thought about heaven today? There ought not a day go by that we don't think about the heaven that God's preparing for us. Every day we should think about our Savior. Every day we should thank God for our salvation. We should thank God for an eternal home called heaven. One of my favorite verses out of my many favorite verses, Revelation 21, 3. Where it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and watch this, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Do you know God is looking forward to spending eternity with you? Can you imagine? Can you imagine that God not only loved you, he not only saved you, he said, there's coming a day when we're going to be together forever. And I myself, not just my angels, not just my cherubim, not just my seraphim, not just the beautiful place, God himself, not my representatives, I will be with you forever. And you'll be my people. And I will be your God. Isn't that beautiful? These are the heavenly gates. Seven gates every Christian should be aware of. The spiritual gate, the salvation gate, the hell gate, the death gate, the destruction gate, the life gate, and the heavenly gates. As we read the scriptures, 
May we have a new understanding of these things. And as we live our life this week,